We express our, our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings on the Prophet, may peace be upon him. And we're continuing discourse number 10 of Fihi Ma Fihi by Rumi. And the floor is yours. I would rather see my friends and gaze upon them to my fill and they upon me, because when friends here in this life have seen each other's substance thoroughly, their friendship will gain in intensity in the next world. They will recognize each other immediately. Knowing how they were together in this world, they will cling fast together because one quickly loses one's friends. Don't you see how in, how in this world you become fast friends with someone, with someone? In your opinion, that person is a paragon of virtue like Joseph. Yet with one untoward act, he's severed from your sight and lost to you forever. That Joseph is turned into a wolf. The same person you used to consider a Joseph, you now see as a wolf. Even though his form is unchanged and he's the same person you used to see by virtue of this one incident, you have lost him. Tomorrow, when the resurrection comes and this essence is changed into another essence, if you have not come to know a person well and not penetrated thoroughly into his essence, how then will you recognize him? The gist of this is that we must see each other deeply and go beyond those good and bad qualities that adhere to every human being. We must penetrate and see each other's essences because of those, those qualities that distinguish men from one another are not their true characteristics. Okay, so I think we might have actually covered this last time. Mm -hmm. uh, but to repeat some of these really important points, inshallah. Uh, so one <clears throat> is that at the level of your soul, mm -hmm. uh, there are people with whom you will have an affinity that is hard to describe. Mm -hmm. And that is because of a connection in the layer of reality that will manifest, inshallah, on the other side. Mm -hmm. and, and I always wonder about this one uh friend non-muslim friend mm -hmm. who i grew up with where our birthdays are a couple like a week and a half apart mm -hmm. from each other our fathers used to take the same bus we had the same physician mm -hmm. we were in almost all the same classes from mm -hmm. first year through high school and then years later uh i was working someplace and i had this bizarro feeling i'm gonna see somebody i know and I'm walking back from the office on the first day uh, to the train. I'm just staring at everybody, mm -hmm. right? Nothing. But that feeling was so, so strong. And the next day I'm in training and we're being taught how to go through the department or the, 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 the company's directory and such. Mm -hmm. And so we have some lesson and then another lesson. I look back at my screen and his name is highlighted on my screen. I thought, whoa, this is bizarre. I mean, I had a feeling I was going to see someone yeah. I knew. I had no clue it was going to be him. Mm. And so, yeah. So then I, you know, I had to find his office and, and uh, or I think I, I, I left him a voicemail or I wrote something, check your voicemail or something like mm. that. And I left a voicemail. And we reconnected. And then as I was leaving that company, um, four years later, you know, I said to him, you know, I'm guessing we're probably going to meet again. Mm -hmm in light of this whole history that he and I have had mm -hmm. together. I mean, we haven't, I mean, it's Aww. been about 18 years, but I still, there's a part of me that still feels like we're just gonna run into each other again, <laughs> you know? Crazy. And so, yeah, so he could be one of those people with me. Mm -hmm. you know? um, and, and so that's one aspect of friendship, that there is a level of friendship that is beyond the veils, mm -hmm. which is a thing. 
And then on the other hand, there's a different part of friendship where you will see someone as, as just wonderful mm -hmm. only to discover that they're actually a wolf. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the sad parts of friendship that you might be friends with someone for a long time mm -hmm. only to discover that they had a facade that you were too blind to see. Mm -hmm. And why are you too blind to see it? Usually it's your own narcissism. Everything always comes back to narcissism. Okay. And, and this is something I'm also often very, very guilty of, that if somebody is, like, uh, in general, I'm pretty good at reading someone in the first you know, couple of minutes uh, I meet them, or especially if it's a student, I can mm -hmm. often figure out what their issues are before they even sit down, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but the problem I am with friends is that I become completely blind. Mm -hmm. And I might become blind to the wrongs that they're doing or even the wrongs that they're doing to me. And I'm not saying it's a bad trait, but it is a trait in which you will be blind to a lot of things that everybody else sees. Yeah. And so he says, the gist of this is that we must see each other deeply and go beyond those good and bad qualities that adhere to every human being. We must penetrate and see each other's essences because those qualities that distinguish men from one another are not their true characteristics. So the surface me that you see is whatever it is I'm showing, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, but whatever it is you're perceiving is probably not reality. Okay. You know, now another side point, which is very interesting about the modern era is that they had mirrors throughout history, right? But how often in the day are they going to be looking at a mirror? Mm -hmm. Whereas, especially in the Zoom era, I'm looking at my face all day long. This is not normal in the human experience. Mm -hmm. The fascinating thing about the human face is everyone sees your face except for you. You're in conversation, everyone sees your face, everyone sees your expressions except for you. And in the same way, you don't see your back, everybody else sees your back, mm -hmm. you know? And, and so there are also spiritual consequences to how much we're actually seeing our face. And some of it might result in increased self-love, some of it might re result in increased self-loathing, which are both types of narcissism. Mm -hmm. But that, I think, also has an impact on how we look at other people um, that still is sort of being figured out. Uh, okay, let's continue. So would you say that the kind of the spiritual impacts of us looking at ourselves so much, would it be, is that, like, what would that be? I think on the surface, I think, um, okay, so one way to think about this is, in general, the most beautiful word mm -hmm. in the any language is your name. Okay. There's a pleasure we get to hearing mm -hmm. our name, mm -hmm. right? Obviously, there's some ways where someone can say your name. It's just like, you know, it's like the worst thing, like you're about to get yelled at or something. But in general, that is the most beautiful thing. Okay. And the level you want to get to is a shift from your name being the most beautiful thing to Allah al-Jalala being the most beautiful thing, meaning the name Allah being the most beautiful thing. And likewise, I mean, to help along the way, more beautiful than my name, I want the name Muhammad in my head, in my heart to be more beautiful, and the name Allah to be even more beautiful. That's the direction I want to get to. Mm -hmm. But I suspect the same thing will happen in terms of our faces. Mm -hmm. That even, so 
you know, when you're looking at your face, either you're going to be looking at your flaws or you're going to be looking at your strengths. The mm-hmm. stereotype in our culture is women always look at their flaws, men always look at their strengths, mm-hmm. you know. And, <clears throat> but the point is that um, uh, I think that will affect how we aspire to see Allah. That the more we see of ourselves, I believe the consequence will be less aspirations to see the face of Allah. Mm-hmm. But I could be wrong, but I'm basing that again on narcissism. Okay. You know, narcissism feeds you in a way you where you feel like you're getting nourished, but you're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well. Okay. Um, they tell of a man who said, I know so-and-so very well. I can tell you what he is like. When asked to describe him, he said, he, he was my herdsman and had two black cows. He is to this day the same. Okay. So, so what's being stated here? <clears throat> Just straight uh, facts. Yeah. So he has two black cows and this is his job. Therefore, mm-hmm. I know him. And that's kind of the same point that at one level there's your real essence Mm -hmm. at a more surface level there's the impression that you're giving intentionally or unintentionally and then at a more surface level it's sort of just what you do what your actions are because with your actions we don't see your intentions so if 10 years ago you were a herdsman and today you're a herdsman then it seems like you haven't grown although you might have gone through personal transformations Mm -hmm. inside your intentions might have changed and so that's one level, but let's, uh, let's continue. Now, people say that they have seen their friends and know them, very, know them well, yet however they may describe them, in truth, their description is no more than if they were to tell the story of the two black cows, which was no description of the man at all. One must go beyond a man's good and bad qualities and penetrate into his essence to see what he is like substantially, for that is really seeing and knowing. So I think that's pretty straightforward, mm-hmm. you know. You may describe this person by saying, okay, yeah, I know, I know Muzaffar, he has all these plaid shirts mm-hmm. and he still has all these plaid shirts. Nothing's changed, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and so the goal is to get deeper into the experience. Uh, all right, let's continue. It is strange that people can ask how the saints and prophets are enamored of, derive strength from, and are affected by the unqualifiable world, seeing that it has neither place nor form and is indescribable. They are always in, they are always in that world. When a person loves another and derives strength from him, he derives grace and beneficence, knowledge, thought, and contemplation, joy, and sorrow from him. This all takes place in the placeless world. One derives sustenance from abstractions and is affected by them. This is not so surprising, and yet people are amazed that saints can be lovers of the placeless world and that they can receive assistance from there. Okay. And so here, you know, when we talk about like the real essence, like between Mm -hmm. two friends that's in this realm that is beyond. Mm -hmm. And as you get closer to reality, you're getting more and more closer to that place that does not have a location. Mm-hmm. Because your mode of connecting is through is within. Mm-hmm. And then it's as though you're deriving sustenance from there. Mm-hmm. As opposed to deriving sustenance from human interaction here, or deriving sustenance from food. 
And so what you will often find is you'll be in the company or let's say you're going on a trip with some really, really big scholar. Mm-hmm. You'll often find that they'll have way more energy than everybody else in the group that's you know a fraction of their age. Mm-hmm. You know, that because that person is deriving energy and sustenance from a different place. Mm-hmm. You know, and that is a thing that all of us have access to. And so it's like you're really getting into the reality of this world. Mm-hmm. All right, let's continue. There was a metaphysician who denied the existence of this concept. One day he fell ill and was in pain for a long time. A theologian went to visit him and asked, "Why are you? what are you seeking? Health, replied the metaphysician. Describe, the, describe for me this health so that I may bring it about, said the theologian. Health has no form, he answered. If health cannot be qualified, how can you be looking for it? He asked, tell me what health is. This much I know, he replied. When health comes, I am robust. I get plump, my color is ruddy and clear, and I feel fresh and in bloom. I am asking you for health itself, he said. What is the essence of health? I do not know, answered the other. It cannot be qualified. If you cannot, if you become a Muslim and repent of your former ways, said the theologian, I will treat you, make you whole, and help you regain your health. The prophet was asked whether or not whether or not one in human form could derive benefit from unqualifiable concepts. He replied, here are the sky and the earth. As you see their form, you derive benefit through it from the universal concept. As you can see, the dominance of the celestial spheres, the rain that comes from the clouds as it should in summer and winter, and the seasonal changes are all for the best and in accordance with providence. Now, how does an inanimate cloud know when it is time to rain? How does the earth, which you see here, take in plants and turn one into ten? Someone does this. Through this world, you can see someone and be helped. Just as the shell helps you to perceive the intrinsic meaning of humanity, you can be helped to perceive the intrinsic meaning of the world through its form. Okay. So we have, uh, again, we're talking about this issue of what's on the surface versus what's inside, which which runs throughout all of Rumi's writings. Mm -hmm. And now we're connecting it to this idea of health. And this guy is saying, okay, I don't have health right now. Mm-hmm. How, <clears throat> how is he determining this? Because I don't have the markers of health. Mm-hmm. The markers of health is that physically mm-hmm. I feel fresh and, you know, just like someone who had their morning coffee, right? And I'm plump and, you know, I have this ruddy reddish color and such, right? But he's not able to define what is health. Mm-hmm. Because even try, how would you define health? Health we can might more define by its signs than than what it is. <coughs> so when we're speaking of things that are without form, where we're speaking of their signs, then what's being prescribed is that the way to get to things that are without form is through the realm of trying to get into reality, the realm of reality that is beyond forms. And that's only going to happen through Dean. Okay. And and so that's part of the point here that uh, the shell of health for this person is that let's say they're not coughing, they're not sneezing, you know, and they have energy. But that which is health to get that is uh, from the way he was looking at it is to get closer and closer to reality. So this is not the same as going to a doctor. Okay. Uh, but the doctor will have a definition of health mm-hmm. according to the signs. This is your temperature. Mm-hmm. 
this is your blood count, so forth and so on. But those are the signs of health. Okay, let's continue. When the prophet became intoxicated and spoke while beside himself, he said, God spoke. Now, although from the point of view of form, it was his own tongue that spoke, he was not, he himself was not there at all. The speaker was God. Since the prophet knew from the very beginning that he was ignorant of such words, when he saw those words issuing forth from himself, he realized that he was not the same person he had been. This is known as the domina domination of God. The prophet told not only about men and prophets who antedated his lifetime by thousands of years, but also about what would happen until the end of the world. He could also speak of God's throne and the cosmos. Yet his being belonged to yesterday. Temporally created beings cannot speak of these things. How can the temporal tell about the eternal? It is obvious, therefore, that it was not he who was speaking, but God. He doth not speak of his own will. It is not other than a revelation which would have been revealed unto him. God transcends form and letters. His speech is outside of letters and voices, but he implements his speech through whatever voice, words, voices, or languages he wills. Okay. So first, when we're speaking of the prophet being intoxicated, what do we mean by intoxicated? The impression of being intoxicated is you've taken leave of your senses. You've taken leave of control of your senses. Yeah. And, and so the, the closest thing that the, that the prophet has to that experience is the moment of receiving revelation, especially mm -hmm. the first revelation. Okay. And so, so what is it saying here? Now, although from the point of view of form, it was his own tongue that spoke. Mm -hmm. But he was not the one speaking. Effectively, the speaker was a law. Like we don't say the speaker was a law. We're saying effectively, the speaker was a law. Mm -hmm. okay. Because the prophet, it was his physical mouth moving, but mm -hmm. he was not the one speaking that he did not have control over it. Mm -hmm. Since the prophet knew from the very beginning that he was ignorant of such words, when he saw those words issuing forth from himself, he realized that he was not the same person he had been. And so he has gone through this experience, which if the Quran was not being produced, mm -hmm. this would be diagnosed as a psychotic break. Mm -hmm. But because it seems exactly like that, right? It almost seems like schizophrenic behavior. But the fact of the matter is that what is he producing? Producing things, the beauty of which no one had ever heard before. And so, so this is a side point. One of the simple proofs of, of Islam is what is it calling to? It's calling you to wholesome behavior. Mm -hmm. And it's doing it in a matter of beauty. Right. And so back to this. This is the domination of Allah, meaning that the prophet is completely surrendered himself to the point that in terms of his consciousness, there's a moment where it's overwhelmed and Allah is taking over his whole consciousness. Mm -hmm. So one of the points you're also going to see as we go through this text, inshallah, is that as you get closer to Allah, you start to give up your free will. Okay. As you get closer to, as you are further away from Allah, you assert your own free will. Okay. And so a way to think about this is that you have a person at a lower level of faith, they have to force themselves to pray. Mm -hmm. A person at a higher level of faith, it's compulsive. Mm -hmm. They can't not pray. Mm -hmm. 
And so, so that's the level to get to. The prophets themselves get to the ultimate level that a human can have of this, where you are completely taking leave of yourself, being taken over by Allah Ta'ala. So the prophet told not only about men and prophets who antedated his, his lifetime by thousands of years, but also about what would happen until the end of the world. So by getting pulled into this level of reality, he was also given all this other knowledge. Like even trying to imagine like how it would be depicted in movies, it's like suddenly all these flashes of time are going right before your eyes. This happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, yeah. this happened. With the difference being that even though it might have uh, overwhelmed the prophet peace around, he was able to explain it and translate it. Mm-hmm. And so the person that he was yesterday is different than, than whatever he is now. And thus it says, yet his being belonged to yesterday. His being belonged to time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's see if there's anything else. Uh, I think that's it for this. Let's do a little bit more in caravans. In caravans along the road, there are stone figurines and stone birds set around the edges of pools. Water flows from their mouths and spills into the pools, but any intelligent person knows that the water does not come from the figurines' mouths, but from some other place. Okay, so you get what's being stated there, right? <clears throat> and so that's the Quran coming from the Prophet's mouth. It is not coming from him. It is coming from another place. Okay, continue. If you want to know someone, make him speak. Then you can know him for what is what he is from his speech. What if he is an imposter and having been told that a man may be known by his speech, intentionally refrains from speaking in order not to be found out. This is like the story they tell of a child in the wilderness who said to his mother, at night when it's dark, a bogeyman appears to me. I'm afraid of him. Don't be afraid, said the mother. When you see that form, be brave and attack it. You'll see it's just a figment of your imagination. But mother, said the child, what should I do if the bogeyman's mother had told, has told him to do the same thing? Now, if this fellow has been advised not to speak in order not to be found out, how am I to know him for what he is? The answer is to be silent in his presence. Give yourself over to him and be patient. Perhaps a word may escape from his lips. If not, a word may inadvertently escape from your lips, or a thought or idea may occur to you. From that thought or idea, you may know him because you will have been influenced by him. It is his reflection and his state that will have showed showed up within you. Okay, so for our purposes so far, in terms of what we can comprehend and what I can explain and what I can comprehend, mm-hmm. a few points here. Number one, <clears throat> everything you do, everything you say, it is in response to what your heart is seeking. Mm-hmm. Okay. So imagine a moment in which somebody is abusing someone else verbally. Mm-hmm. In that moment, they're responding to something that their heart is seeking. And they're interpreting what their heart is seeking, and then they act accordingly. Mm -hmm. So we often find with bullies, Mm -hmm. they might be really, really severe bullies, Mm -hmm. but but what's motivating them in being bullies is they have this really deep self-hatred, deep inferiority complex. Mm -hmm. And so they compensate that feeling of unease by trying to dominate another person. Mm-hmm. you know, verbally, violently, etc. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so everything you're doing, especially when you're speaking, it's like you're pushing out. Okay. You know, because you're speaking things and people mm-hmm. are hearing things. And so if you want to get closer to a law, mm-hmm. you shift from 
from language that's pushing to language that is seeking, mm-hmm. that is dua. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when you're using language that's seeking, it means you're also listening. Okay. So if I say, can you help me with this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm pulling you in, and then I'm also listening for your response where you're either going to say yes or no. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then often better than that is just to remain silent. Mm-hmm. Either push or pull. But remaining silent, your brain is still operating. Mm-hmm. So your brain might be trying to push out. Yeah. And so your brain should be taking the approach of trying to receive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you want to know someone, make him speak, then you can know him for, for what he is from his speech. Mm-hmm. And then here, what if he's an imposter? So, so the point is that my words reflect what my heart is seeking, but you may not realize what my heart is really seeking. So I could be saying, come and help me. Mm-hmm. But in reality, I could be criminal mm-hmm. trying to lure you in so I can rob you. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. Oh, by the way, I like the fact that, you know, Rumi's talking about bogeyman. Anyway, so, so <clears throat> what is the advice here? That in yourself, you have this imagination and mm-hmm. you have to confront your imagination of everything. So you have an imagination of what the prophet of peace be on is like. You have an imagination of what Allah is like, especially mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. And you have to confront that to see if that is the appropriate vision you have of Allah. Okay. So some people might literally regard Allah as a prophet, as a bogeyman. Mm-hmm. And you want to try to increasingly think of Allah as beyond your comprehension, through mm-hmm. which he has some attributes that we can try to comprehend. Mm-hmm. But the more you can reach a point of thinking of Allah as beyond your comprehension, the closer you're getting. If it is also returning, resulting into action. If it's not resulting into action, it still might be in the right direction, but you might also fall off the path too. Got it. And so let's see. So yeah, give yourself over to him and be patient. Perhaps a word may escape from his lips. And all of that. Uh, okay, let's go. Let's finish these last few paragraphs before the space. Okay. Um, Sheikh Sarazi was seated among his disciples, one of whom suddenly had a craving for roasted lamb's head. The Sheikh indicated that some roasted lamb's head should be brought to him. Sheikh, they said, how did you know he wanted that? Because, he replied, for 30 years I have had no cravings. I have purified myself and transcended all cravings. I have become as plain as a mirror with no image upon it. When I had a desire for roasted lamb's head and when it became a craving, I knew that it was from that fellow. A mirror has no image. If an image appears in a mirror, it must come from something else. Okay. So what is the destination we're seeking? We said that everything you say, everything you do is a result of what your heart is seeking. Mm-hmm. And, and so everything that is dunyawi, mm-hmm. you want your heart to not find satisfaction in those things. So your heart is not craving any of those mm-hmm. things. Money, wealth, well, money is wealth, money, attention, property, you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. applause. And so you can reach a point where your heart becomes a clean mirror, mm-hmm. which means you can reach a point where, so we said just a moment ago that you're, you might stop speaking, mm-hmm. but your brain is still pushing out ideas. Okay. And you can reach a point where you can hear what someone else's heart is saying. 
Now, think about what that means. It means other people can potentially hear what your heart is saying without you realizing it. You know, and those are the, the master Sufis and such, where you sit and they already know what you're craving. So, so I'm speaking of two sides. One side is you can reach a point where you can hear, spiritually hear other people's cravings. But what that especially means is that other people can hear yours. That we are revealing of ourselves, even if we're not doing anything. If we're doing things, we're especially revealing a lot more. But we're revealing of ourselves, even if we're not doing anything, just by being there. Okay, let's stop right here, inshallah. We still have about another little over another page of this discourse, inshallah, that will continue uh, to, inshallah, next time. Sounds good. Any other questions or thoughts? No. Okay, inshallah, we'll stop right here. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafirika wanatubi lake. And let me turn off the recording. And I forgot how to do that right there.